0: Two women, around the same age, in the same town, hanging around the same people, disappeared without a trace, ten years apart. The connection? In both missing persons cases, the same person is a person of interest, and yet in both cases, no suspects have been officially named, and no one has been arrested. Heather Don Mullen Zimmerman and Jamie E. Harper both went missing after attending a party in Rantoul, Illinois, Heather in May of 1997 and Jamie in March of 2007. Were they victims of the same perpetrator? Did they skip town of their own free will and volition? Are they dead or are they alive? I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium and true crime addict, and this is Murder and Mediumship. A lot of you have been messaging me on Instagram asking if I would be opening my calendar up before September. The answer is basically a solid no, as I'm using the rest of the summer to dedicate to hanging with family and working on this podcast a bit more. My calendar is wide open, however, for September, and I personally cannot wait to dive back into readings with all of you. In mid-September, my program, Showing Up For Your Self-Worth, will begin again as well. This is a smaller program maximum of eight people per cycle designed to help us learn to better trust our intuition and our daily lives to build stronger and healthier boundaries with ourselves and with others. And if you struggle with saying no to others or even in saying yes to opportunities that you're afraid you can't possibly be good enough for, then this program is definitely for you. Check out the link in my Instagram bio, also linked in the show notes and see if you can get in on round four. Schedule a free exploratory call to see if this is the perfect fit for you. Alright, on to the show. Heather Don Mullen Zimmerman got married super young in her life. At just 19 years old, she was married to a Marine deployed to or stationed in Japan, Michael Zimmerman. Kind of conflicting in, in different sources, but typically I, I feel like a Marine would have been deployed there, whereas maybe someone in the Navy would have been stationed there. Not the point. Military background makes it a little bit different for me, but I'm just babbling. I believe he was deployed there. And Heather and her husband were going through a bit of a difficult, difficult time, as deployments are hard. Military life isn't easy in general, and to top it off, being married that young makes everything more difficult. So in May of 1997, she was staying with her parents in Gifford, Illinois, right off Route 136, back where she grew up. Heather was working at a small general store called Casey's in town as a clerk part-time, making some money and just trying to figure out her life. Being that this was now over 20 years ago and not a case that got a lot of coverage at the time, it's not super clear whether or not her husband was home from Japan at the time or if he was still over there. I do feel like my little inkling says that he was still over there, but that's just what I feel about it. After her shift on the evening of May 26, 1997, Heather headed out with a friend to go to a house party at a mobile home park in Rantoul, Illinois. She didn't have her own transportation, so she would have been picked up to get there, and even more frustrating, she had just had her purse stolen days before, meaning she had no credit cards, no cash, and no ID of any type whatsoever on her at this party. According to the Rantoul police and whomever their source was at the time, Heather was supposedly dropped off by someone at her parents' house around 3 a.m. on the 27th, following the party. However, her parents never heard her come in, nor was she there in the morning or in the days after. And it's unknown whether she was actually dropped off and didn't make it inside, or if she was never brought back home in the first place. At first, this didn't really raise any suspicions because Heather was an adult married for crying out loud, and would come and go as she pleased. It wasn't really unusual for her to be out of the house for even a few days at a time. When Heather failed to show up for her shift at Casey's General Store that week, her mother called the police to report her missing. The trip from Rantoul to Gifford should only be about an 11-minute drive, and it doesn't appear to have any places to really stop or any reason to get held up. It all looks very rural from from like a Google Maps satellite image, and it gives me the vibes of kind of where I grew up. Small rural area with not much going on, unless it's a house party, or a barn party, or a cornfield party. <laughs> Though they searched extensively, police didn't have much to go on at all. In June of the same year, an unidentified man called the local Channel 3 News and told them that Heather's body could be found in the burrow pits of north of Gifford. And if you aren't sure what the hell a burrow pit is, I didn't know either. And when I looked it up, what I found is is basically when you order fill dirt to level out your yard or for landscaping purposes, whatever, that fill dirt has to be dug up from somewhere, right? So the burrow pits are the pits left behind by removing that dirt to use for such projects. Those burrow pits were searched and nothing was found, not even a trace of her. And from what I understand, when those pits fill up with water, we're not talking like eight feet or so, we are talking like upwards of like 40, 50 feet of digging that these pits fill with this water and it's sludgy and muddy. And it's not like really nice water for like a pond that's being dug out. It's, it's literally just filth and it's difficult to work in anyway, fast forward over a year. And in November of 1998, another tip led police to the gravel pits in Dogtown, Illinois, and a canine unit alerted to the scent of human remains, but again, nothing was found. Nothing has been found since, and no arrests have been made, let alone any suspects publicly named. Now, keep these pits in downtown Illinois in the back of your mind, because we're going to hear about them again. But I want to pause here to say that if you're a part of the Patreon family, oh, yes. if not, then you may want to think about joining At The Tier Investigate. This week on August 23rd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we will be doing a live episode with Investigate Patreon members with a question and answer to follow. And the subject? The murders of Israel Keys. He is truly a haunting individual, and I would compare his energy to that of of like Jeffrey Dahmer. If you haven't seen my YouTube interview with Dahmer, you can find it. Yeah. On YouTube. <laughs> I'll link the sign up for Patreon in the show notes as well as that interview with Dahmer. It's really, it's a very um, callous kind of dry, non-emotional type of person who doesn't feel like they really connect to anyone. So it'll definitely be an interesting episode and connecting to him for a Q&A will absolutely be interesting as well. Just to be clear, this will be more of a mediumship and a psychic connection. I do not plan on actively channeling him. However, every now and then I do that for Patreon. So jump on in and join in on August 23rd. And at the end of this month as well, not that the 23rd isn't the end, but at the very end of this month, we will also be doing an episode about HH Holmes and we'll be doing a Q&A after that as well. So anyway, back to Jamie Harper and Heather John Mullen Zimmerman. When we fast forward yet again, in this case, this time an entire decade to March of 2007, we meet 20-year-old Jamie Harper of Paxton, Illinois. Now, Paxton and Gifford were both about 15 minutes or less from Rantoul, where both Jamie and Heather met similar fates, leaving a lot of questions about whether or not their cases are connected. On March 9th, 2007, Jamie left her mother's house in Paxton, what looks to be another small farming community, and she headed to a party with her boyfriend. The party was located in Rantoul, and her boyfriend, who we're going to call Frank, for the sake of privacy in this episode, as he has not been publicly named and we do not want to face any legal implications, but according to witnesses, Jamie left the party early in the morning of March 10th. Her boyfriend, Frank had since passed out drunk on the couch at the host's mobile home. The host has not been named that I can find and had already been informed by Jamie prior to his passing out that she would just grab a ride from a friend. If you're already thinking that Jamie didn't make it home on the 10th, then you would be correct. March 10th came and went and Jamie didn't show up to her mom's house. And like in the case of Heather Zimmerman, It wasn't particularly unusual for her to not come home for a few days as she was 20 years old and had a life of her own. In fact, that evening, she was supposed to stay with a friend anyway, so her mom waited a few days to call the police, and she wasn't really concerned. Her mom's only concern, though, was an I think, kind of a big one. Jimmy was epileptic and didn't have her medication with her. My cell phone-addicted listeners remember... This is back in the days of flip phones and T9 texting. I'm pretty sure I had, what was it, called the Envy or something where it would slide up and down and it had a full keyboard. Not everyone had a cell phone, and those who did weren't necessarily as glued to it as most are today. It's not always as simple as pinging cell phone towers and phone records. And if you've listened to other cases, you know that I think most of those cell phone pings are BS anyway, and it's kind of called like a pseudoscience. Reports right. coming from a medium, I understand, but they're not as reliable as we would like to believe that they are. So after reporting her daughter missing, the sergeant assigned to her case was Jeff Wooten with the Rantoul Police Department. And Sergeant Wooten was able to find out that Jamie had been seen leaving the party around 430 in the morning with a man. This is on the 10th with a man whose real name we will not use, but please feel free to Google for yourself. We will be referring to him as Smith. Now, Smith was actually already a person of interest in the disappearance of none other than Heather Don Mullen Zimmerman. And this is who Jamie was seen leaving with. And God, what does that do to your stomach? Because not only that, but he had already spent time in prison for assault and battery. So imagine hearing that, yes, your daughter was last seen leaving the party with this person who has already done time in a state prison for violent crimes. I don't know how you continue to go on about living when you know something so horrific possibly happened and to be, I don't know why I'm even going off on this tangent, but I I really feel like as a parent, I, I just can't imagine how parents of missing children go on, no matter how old these children are. It's just, it's a different kind of strength that I hope I never have to actually understand in my lifetime. But it was rumored that she had overdosed. And it's also said that she didn't hang out with the best of people. And two of the people were going to talk about who she was seen with that night. They already had records. And their records only continued to grow after her disappearance. So she wasn't with a great crowd. And it was rumored that she had overdosed. And her body was left in the gravel pits. In the gravel pits in Downtown, Illinois. Which wasn't too far from Paxton. I'm not sure how credible this tip was, as she had been seen leaving the party with someone. Did she overdose after she left then? I mean, I'm not really sure there, but... However, even after searching the water-filled gravel pits with, bo- with boats, sonar, divers, and even dogs, they found nothing. Another dead-on tip led them to a cemetery in Maplewood, north of Rantoul, and still nothing was found there either. So, law enforcement was watching Smith very carefully, though, and they were posted outside of his mobile home in Rantoul and got him to agree to an interview at the police station where he said he wouldn't give any information but continued to talk endlessly about how he had nothing to do with her disappearance. So, according to the Ford County Chronicle, who... Filed for um, with the Freedom of Information Act to get information about this case, Smith went to the police station to be interviewed on April 4th of 2007. He told police that he knew they were coming to speak to him because others from the party had already told him they'd been spoken to. Smith denied leaving the party with Jamie, but did admit to leaving it twice. Once to talk to someone about tires for 10 minutes, and the other time around 1 or 2 a.m. to go home. Now, while Smith seemed to be cooperating by going down to the station, he certainly didn't come off as super cooperative while he was there. At one point, he told police that he has been, quote, blamed before and doesn't need this, insisting that he would do everything he could to find out what happened to her so that he could clear his own name of it. When police showed him a photograph, though, of Jamie, he immediately got defensive, shut down, asked if he needed a lawyer. And despite claiming to be innocent, he still refused to take a polygraph because he, quote, just doesn't believe in them. Now, Smith's girlfriend was also at the party where Jamie had last been seen, and it seemed generally accepted among everyone present there, except for Smith, that he had left with Jamie. According to his girlfriend at the time, she was upset with him that he had left with her because he didn't even know her, according to her. According to his girlfriend, she was confused as to what they would even be doing. And again, remember, Jamie's boyfriend was passed out there, making this even more strange. shockingly, she left the party before Jamie did. I probably would have left as soon as I saw my boyfriend with another woman, but I digress. According to another unnamed man, Smith showed back up to the party about one hour or an hour and a half later after leaving with Jamie. But he returned alone. The unnamed witness took and passed a polygraph test about what he told police. Smith's girlfriend maintained that she didn't know what happened to Jamie, but also took and passed a polygraph. The host of the party told police that Jamie and her boyfriend Frank got to the party around 1 or 2 a.m., which sounds like around when Smith was saying he was leaving the party and that Frank passed out not too long after getting there. But by that time, he did pass out. Not many people were still there, mainly the host, the person of interest, who was saying he was leaving around then, and the male witness who saw the person of interest and Jamie leave together, Jamie's boyfriend, who was passed out. There's a lack of clarity around the circumstances of their meeting, but the next day, the person of interest, Smith, and Jamie's boyfriend, Frank, talked to each other, and the person of interest told Frank that Jamie had called a friend for a ride, though none of her friends who had been spoken to by police ever received a phone call from Jamie that day that she had disappeared. The host told police that everyone was gone around 3 a.m. and that no one showed back up at his place before he had gone to bed around 5. He did hear Frank at the kitchen table around 9, and Frank had finally woken up and kind of moseyed on out of the mobile home and ran to around 10.30 or 11. Following this interview with police, Smith quickly left the area. I mean, he dropped and left. He went from Illinois to Kentucky, then to Tennessee, and then to Alabama and Louisiana, and finally ended up in Florida. While he was in Florida, he was arrested yet again and this time was extradited back to Illinois for a string of burglaries and robberies he had allegedly committed while there. According to a source in Florida, a friend of his he was staying with, Smith, got super drunk one evening and kind of spaced out with a far-off look in his eyes, and he told the friend that he had done something, quote, really bad and seemed as if he was about to say more. But Smith's phone rang, and he stopped talking about it, never bringing it up again either. So after being extradited to Illinois, police attempted to interview him again, but this time Smith refused to talk to them without a lawyer present and ultimately spent about five years in state prison with a guilty plea to burglary, and that was his life. He was in and out of prison. He really probably didn't have much to gain or lose by talking to police about anything in the first place. Smith's home was searched earlier on in the investigation, but no clues came from any of the evidence that they had seized. I mentioned in the beginning of of this episode about Jamie, how the gravel pits in Dogtown were searched to no avail. Well, secluded areas of the woods nearby the gravel pits were combed over by law enforcement too, and police searched the residence where Jamie had last been seen, and really nothing of value pertaining at least to her disappearance was found there either. In October of 2007, police searched Smith's father's property at another rural part of Illinois, a town called Armstrong, in yet another county. The investigation spread over three counties as time went on. On his dad's private property, they searched more wooded areas in the banks of Middle Fork River. On this property, several, several articles of clothing were found in what seemed to be a partially burnt bucket in a burn pit, with some metal rivets and hair brass as well. None of this has been confirmed to have anything to do with Jamie, but none of it has been confirmed to not have anything to do with her either. Smith had a lot to hide from police, regardless of his involvement or lack thereof with Jamie Harper's disappearance. And I mean, he was a career criminal. While in prison for his burglary conviction, recorded prison phone calls were subpoenaed. And these recordings were of Smith telling his family not to talk to any police without a lawyer with them and that everything that was going on was basically crap. His dad is heard on these calls telling him that the police were setting him up to take the fall for Jamie's disappearance because they, quote, wanted to drop this in somebody's lap. Almost as soon as Smith was released from prison for his five-year burglary sentence, he was arrested and convicted of aggravated domestic battery, and he was sentenced to another 20 years in Illinois State Prison. He's up for parole in 2032, and at that time he will be 56 years old. He literally started his life of crime so young, and it just continued. As much as police like Smith for this crime, though, he wasn't the only person of interest, still not named on an official suspect list either, but in the disappearance of Jamie Harper. Her boyfriend, you know, Frank, seriously, Google is your friend here. If you want to know more about Frank, just use your Google box. Frank failed his polygraph about Jamie's disappearance too and actually gave conflicting stories as to why he didn't bring her home that evening or earlier that morning. He first said that he had to leave to take care of business with some friends of his and that when he came back, she had already left. But then he changed his story and said that he was passed out on the couch at the Ho's home, so she simply asked someone else for a ride. And I think this is interesting because if your friends are an alibi... You have to rely on other people to lie for you, right? But if you're passed out on a couch, you're just passed out. You don't have to say you were with anyone else, and other partygoers are probably drunk or high or inebriated in some way. They're definitely not sober, so maybe they didn't even notice you there. But since Jamie's disappearance, Blink has been convicted of several more violent crimes, as he had prior convictions when he was hanging out with her. In more recent years, he was out of prison on parole for aggravated battery when he got into a physical altercation that he alleged was self-defense and actually threw a punch that killed the alleged aggressor. While his existing 8 felonies and 12 misdemeanors, the judge stated that he saw no remorse and would likely do it again. Frank was sentenced to 17 years in state prison in 2014. Smith is a person of interest in both Jamie and Heather's disappearances, and while no bodies have been found and surrounding areas have been investigated and searched at length, if Smith is truly the one responsible, which I wholeheartedly believe that he is, then who's to say that there weren't more victims in that 10-year span? The last tip to come into law enforcement about Jamie Harper was in 2020, but prior to that, no tips have been received since 2009. I mean, that's an 11-year gap. Could their cases be solved? I really think that these are solvable, but one of them has to be found first. My gut tells me that at least one of them will be within the next three years or so, and that DNA evidence will help us solve this faster than anyone could have dreamed in 2007, let alone in 1997. We live in an incredible time, and there are some things that we just can't predict one way or another. It keeps things more interesting that way, right? Right. What I do know for sure is that while Frank sounds like a real winner, I do not believe he had anything to do with her disappearance. And while I would like to believe he has knowledge of what happened, I think he doesn't have anything he can definitively prove or he would have used it as leverage with law enforcement by now. I think in these cases, time will certainly tell and will set those poor girls free. If you have any information related to the disappearances of Jamie Harper or Heather Don and Zimmerman, then please call the Illinois State Police at 217-524-1669. Stay tuned for some kick-ass changes coming to Murder in Mediumship. And please, please, please be kind, be safe, be loving, and come back for more of Murder in Mediumship.